Thank you, Frank, and it's a great reminder. Um, as we as we know the Lord, um, if we know truly know the Lord, um, and not just know about Him, then we should also begin to become more like Him. And it's just as when we know each other. Uh, and we have great, good friends, close friends. We start to become, you know, especially with husbands and wives, we start to become a little bit like each other in some ways. And so, the same way with the Lord, as we get to know the Lord and really become his friend, what a friend we have in Jesus. As we come closer to him, then we become more like him. And that is, of course, the, the goal is to, throughout our life, as we grow in our walk with the Lord. And as we grow, you know, through the uh, study and application of his word and through prayer and seeing prayers answered and, and uh, fellowshipping with fellow believers and encouraging one another, building one another up and uh, just getting to know each other as well as uh, each of us are given different spiritual gifts and are in different places in our walk with the Lord. And we can learn even more about the Lord through knowing each other better. And uh, again, it's wonderful to be here together with you again this morning. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we're going to be, and as is in the screen, on the screen behind me, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Very short book, one of the, it's called, sometimes called the Minor Prophets, but there is a major message there nonetheless from the book of Jonah, and uh, each of the Minor Prophets, in fact. But the book of Jonah... Is a, is a book that, you know, it's a story that we're usually very familiar with or uh, in Sunday school, if, you, if you've gone to Sunday school or uh, been in a Christian school or um, grown up with the Bible stories, it's a familiar story of Jonah and the whale or the great fish. And it's a, it's a story that some have used, you know, to ridicule Christians and say, oh, do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish? Going back to the Scopes trial, of 1925, uh, William Jennings Bryan was the, de the prosecuting attorney in a, in a case that the ACLU, yes, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union that's still active today, uh, was active then and just beginning to get uh, going on removing the Bible from our culture. It would be the same group that would help bring lawsuits later on to get the Bible and prayer taken out of public schools altogether. But back in 1925, things were quite different in our country here in America. In 1925, there was a law on the books of Tennessee, as well as a good at least 20 other states, that forbade the teaching of evolution. Evolution had been around since the mid-1800s with the well, really, even long before that, the idea of spontaneous generation and evolving from lower life forms had been around, but it had been popularized and made to appear more scientific to some by, of course, Charles Darwin. And then in America, the church, for the most part, and the culture, for the most part, is the culture was very influenced by the church, rejected the teaching of evolution in America. It, it would uh, take hold in Europe, and it would sow the seeds for communism, for Nazism, the idea that inferior evolved human beings, if they're truly human and not just apes, well, they can be eliminated because the higher race of people, you know, they should be allowed to continue uh, improving and, and populating and controlling everything. Um, of course, that's a very evil idea, but it, it's, it's one that grew out of evolution. But in that 
Scopes trial of 1925, William Jennings Bryan, who was a three-time candidate for president with the Democratic Party, he was actually the chair of the Democratic National Convention, he was a vice president under Woodrow Wilson during World War I. Well, he uh, was, was a, an attorney as well, and knew the law, and he, he brought the case against a teacher. It was a setup, really, by the ACLU, by the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, that wanted to have a test case, that wanted to have a case to get publicity for evolution, and to show that Christians, you know, what they believe in the Bible, it really isn't that worth being taught in the schools or being believed by society as a whole, but rather it should be questioned, should be brought into question, and other ideas like evolution should be taught instead, or at least allowed to be taught. And uh, it was against the law in Tennessee, so the ACLU got a teacher to confess that he had taught evolution in the state of Tennessee, and they brought the case against him, you know, basically essentially turned him in. He um, was briefly arrested, arraigned, and then uh, given a, a date in court. And on that court trial in Tennessee, in that, in that trial, John Scopes was on trial for teaching evolution against the law in the state of Tennessee in the public schools. And Clarence Darrow was the defense attorney, and he brought a case in which, really, he, he lost the legal battle. It was proven to be against the law to teach evolution in the state of Tennessee. It was proven that John Scopes you know, had confessed. Should have been an uh, open and shut case as far as the law was concerned, but Clarence Darrow succeeded in putting William Jennings Bryan on the witness stand, calling him to the witness stand, something that William Jennings Bryan was never allowed to do for the, uh, and vice versa to Clarence Darrow. And he asked William Jennings Bryan a, seri a, a series of questions about the Bible, and one of them had to do with Jonah. And of course, Clarence Darrow's objective was try to make Christians seem simple-minded or silly or just blindly believing uh, things that logical, reasonable people wouldn't believe. And of course, for unbelievers, they, they, they fail to grasp the supernatural and refuse to believe in the existence of God. It, that makes sense. But to us who are believers, we believe that God can do anything. Do we not? Including providing a great fish or a whale to swallow a man whole. Well, it was one of the points that uh, that lawyer, Clarence Darrow, used to ridicule Brian to try to make him look silly because he said, yes, I believe that. And although most of the town in, in the local area in Tennessee supported William Jennings Bryan and his side of the arguments, and most of his arguments were made fairly well. If you listen to the de actual debate or read the transcript, he did fairly well most of the time. Uh, but the uh, papers, even back then, the newspapers, including in New York, uh, were just very liberal and spun the story to make Christians look narrow-minded and uh, that they were pushing their beliefs on everyone else. And eventually the, the public opinion began to turn in America and eventually evolution was, of course, legalized. And then eventually creation was thrown out of the schools. The Bible and prayer were thrown out of the schools and evolution and humanism, which is a religion, uh, replaced it in the school as the state-sponsored religion. Um, but that was not the case. And for uh, at one time in our nation in, in 1925 and for until the 1950s 
a good 20 states still continue to have those laws on their book against evolution and in support of the teaching of creation in the schools and the Bible in general. Well, we come to the story of Jonah this morning, and often it is a story that we see almost as a children's story, but it's really not written with just children in mind. And remember, this was all scripture. This is scripture. All scripture is written, is written by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We'll learn several lessons this morning. We have one, one of the lessons uh, that we find in Jonah that uh, just a couple of weeks ago I, I taught to, to the children, but I really began to think, you know, this is a good lesson for all of us, and I wanted to bring a study to the book of Jonah. But we find in, the, in, in Jonah the fact that God's presence, he is everywhere. God is present everywhere. Not just, of course, when we're at church. And we don't come to church just to be in God's presence because God is present everywhere. But that doesn't mean, of course, that oh, we shouldn't come to church because, well, I can be present with God in the woods or at home or at work or uh, you know, in the boat fishing or someplace else or at home uh, watching the TV preacher. Um, the reason we come to church rather, is to provoke one another to love and good works, to consider one another and provoke one another to love and good works, says Hebrews 10.24. And the very next verse, Hebrews 10.25, tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's the purpose. The purpose of us coming together is to provoke one another to love and good works. And so there are love and good works in the book of Jonah to be provoked to. And I've tried to choose a provocative title from Jonah, it's actually from verse 6. O sleeper, question mark, arise. And that is the title for this morning's message in Jonah 1. And in Jonah 1 this morning, in this message, we're going to see three evidences of how Jonah was spiritually asleep, sometimes physically asleep as well, as we'll see. But three evidences of how Jonah was spiritually asleep that we can learn from, that we should see how that we need to be awakened, that we need to arise and do God's will for our lives. For Jonah, of course, he had a calling, a special calling, but each of us, God calls on from his word to give the gospel to the world and to help disciple one another, to encourage one another as fellow believers in our walk with Christ. We have a calling. Jonah had a calling, a very specific calling. We're going to see in the first evidence that he was asleep. The first evidence that he was asleep is he did the exact opposite. He did the exact opposite of what God told him when he resisted God's calling for Jonah. He did the exact opposite was the first evidence. Let's look at the opening Three verses of, of Jonah, chapter 1 this morning. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come before me. Now notice in verse 1, uh, Jonah is the son of Amittai. Uh, he the area where he lives, you see in verse 3, is, is Joppa, which is in Galilee. You know, in the New Testament, the, 
the, the established religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, they ridiculed Jesus because he's from Galilee. Of course, he was born in Bethlehem, but Joseph went back to Nazareth after taking Mary and Jesus from Egypt uh, back to Nazareth. Nazareth was in Galilee. Well, Jonah was from that region as well. So Jonah is a prophet. Uh, the, the religious leaders in Jesus' day said, what good thing cometh out of Galilee? Search and see, there cometh no prophet out of Galilee, they said. But there is a prophet that came out of Galilee. And that's Jonah. Jonah, he is a prophet. He had a prophecy. Notice he, he's born into uh, a family that serves the Lord, that worships the Lord, and receives his word and becomes messengers for God. And in 2 Kings 14.25, we have an account of Jonah bringing a prophecy from the Lord to his people. And it was good news in that case. It was news that there would be great victory over their enemies. And that victory came. And Jonah was happy to give that message. But here in verse 2, God gives Jonah a different message. And at first glance to Jonah, this is a good message. Jonah likes part of this message. Look at this, arise and go to Nineveh. He doesn't like that part. We'll come back to that. That great city, I'm sure he does not like to hear that either, and cry against it. Doesn't want to do that. That's not the part he likes. But here, the second part of this verse is the part Jonah likes. For their wickedness has come up before me, and there's a message that Jonah is supposed to take to that city. He's going to take it there later when he finally obeys in chapter 3, where he takes the message, where he cries against Nineveh, and he said that unless Nineveh, you know, the message God gave him for the people is that unless Nineveh turned from their sins, unless they repented, God was going to destroy that city in 40 days. That was the part of the message that Jonah wanted to hear. He wanted to hear that this city would be destroyed. Why? Nineveh is the capital, was the capital of Assyria, an enemy. An enemy that you know, Jonah had, had seen his people had some success against, but an enemy that continued to come back. And if Jonah knew the future, and we don't know that he did, but if Jonah were to know the future, he would know that one day, Assyria, the capital of which was Nineveh, would conquer his people, the northern kingdom of Israel, and would permanently deport them. They would be scattered never to return to their land. So we may think, you know, it may be easy for us to look at this and say, Jonah, you know, you're, you're a prophet of God. Why didn't you apply the things you were teaching others to your own life? Why didn't you take this message that God gave you? Why did you disobey? Why did you do the exact opposite of what God told you? It may be easy for us to, to think that way, but consider for a moment. If you, if any of us, were given a message from God saying, go to North Korea and reach to them, telling them to repent. And what if you knew North Korea, well, we already know, they have you know, nuclear capabilities, they're working on missiles and being able to fire those. They say they can hit Guam, they, they could, I'm sure, hit Japan and other places, they'd like to hit us. What if you knew or suspected was highly likely that one day North Korea would nuke America 
America would have to be evacuated from how many hits they received and when they evacuated the country to get away from the contamination before they can ever return other people would move in and take over let's say from Canada and Mexico and other countries nearby and America would never again be the United States of America as we know it today if you knew that would you want if you were given a message to go to North Korea not just at the risk of your own life and your own safety and your own freedom and your own liberty but knowing that this is an enemy country that if God doesn't judge them if God doesn't do something to intervene one day that country is going to come they're going to conquer they're going to remove you from your country they're going to cause great destruction across your land and your people will never have their country again Jonah may not have known that would happen but it was going to happen and Jonah, uh, we see, we'll see later, he did suspect something to that effect. He knew they're an enemy country. He knew they were an enemy of his country. He's a great patriot. He loves his country. He's like Moses, who Moses, when God was willing you know, to destroy his people that were rejecting Moses' leadership and rejecting God's leadership, was willing to destroy them and make a nation out of Moses alone. You know, Moses was willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his country, and he wanted God to spare them. He was willing himself to die, if that be necessary, for the good of his country. And Jonah, I believe, is in the same frame of mind. We're going to find that frame of mind later in, in the passage, as Jonah, you know, Jonah is the one who writes this book. And it's going to be interesting to see how he ends the book. We'll come to that later. But Jonah will give you what he's thinking later in the book. The motivation he has but let's look at verse 3 what he does he does the exact opposite as we mentioned of what God told him but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish so we might get the idea Jonas Jonah's fleeing that means he's a coward he's afraid well I want you to notice where he goes but Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof he pays good money he is sacrificing he is paying this ticket, this fare. And he went down into it. He went into a ship, going into the Mediterranean, which is very treacherous. We see even in Paul's lifetime, Paul was at least twice shipwrecked in the Mediterranean. One of those we have a detailed account of. Mediterranean is a dangerous place for shipwreck and uh, you know, before the Roman Empire for piracy, marauders. Uh, it's not safe. It's, it, he may be just as in danger going where he's going as he would be going to Nineveh. It's not, not, not a safe way to go. He wants to go to Tarshish. That's 2,000 miles away. That is as far in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh because Nineveh is to the north and east of Israel. Jonah's in the northernmost part of Israel. Nineveh is east. He is going west. And he's going to the Mediterranean Sea, he's getting on a boat, and he's sailing to the westernmost extremity of the known world at that time, Spain. That's where Tarshish is. Tarshish is as far away from Nineveh as Jonah can think of to go. May have been a, a colony of, of Tyre and Sidon, a Phoenician colony, but um, it, it's, it's some place that Jonah knew of that was the farthest away from Nineveh as he could get. But I don't think it's just because he was afraid for himself and he was so afraid of Nineveh and what they would do to him there. I think Jonah is willing, and I'll show you that to, to this morning later. He is willing to die, but not so that the Ninevites might have a chance to repent. 
He does not want to see that happen. We'll see that later in the book. He wants to do the exact opposite. Just to show you that frame of mind that Jonah has, if you briefly looked at chapter 4, verse 1, even the last verse of chapter 3, verse 10, and God saw their works uh, after Jonah had preached to Nineveh, and that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do to, unto them, and he did it not. Verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? In other words, before he got on that ship, that is what he was thinking. When he went down to Joppa, got a boat to go to Tarshish, 2,000 miles away in the opposite direction, west, that is exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh, I'm so afraid to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go someplace I'll be safe from Nineveh. I'll go far away, as far away from Nineveh as I can. No, he was thinking... I do not want to bring this message to Nineveh because they just might repent and I know my God is merciful and he just might show them mercy which just might extend the life of their empire which just might mean the destruction of my own country and my own people and it did and it did and Jonah was right and he's angry he's a patriot and he's putting his people before God's command look I pray thee O Lord was not this my saying when I was yet in my country therefore I fled before unto Tarshish for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger of great kindness and repent and repentest thee of the evil therefore now O Lord take I beseech thee my life so he's not so concerned with his own life he wants to die he'd rather die than live to see Nineveh spared from God's judgment for it is better for me to die than to live, he says in verse 3. That's the frame of mind that Jonah really has when he gets on that boat. He is wanting to do the exact opposite of what God told him because he has his own idea of what is best. Instead of trusting God to work, whatever his doubts and fears about God's command, whatever his own agenda, rather than yielding that to God and obeying, Jonah does the exact opposite. That's the first evidence that Jonah was spiritually asleep. That Jonah doesn't really know God the way he should know. He has the opposite mindset of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who is willing to be accursed, willing to be accursed if need be to see his own people come to Christ. And Apostle Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, Jonah was one of the first apostles to Gentiles. He's going to a Gentile city later on, Nineveh, when he finally gets right with God for a time. He goes to Nineveh. That's the Gentiles. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's a messenger sent from God to the Gentiles and preaches to them. But he has a very different mindset than Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul who didn't even have as much success as Jonah is going to have. Jonah gets a whole city to repent. The Apostle Paul, never. we never see that he got a whole city. We see the Apostle Paul is beaten and persecuted everywhere he went. And he had a small group of followers that would begin a church in each city he visited. But they were oppressed. And he had to write epistle after epistle, letter after letter to those churches to encourage them because of all the resistance that were in those cities. And yet, Jonah is going to be such a successful preacher to Nineveh, but he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to take the message because he knows what will happen when he takes the message there. And he doesn't want to see his enemies saved. So he's not understanding that the same God that can forgive him, even when he disobeys, even when God sends away a storm and a whale, the same God that has that kind of love and forgiveness for Jonah and for Jonah's people, also loves others, including Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He loves everyone and has that same grace and forgiveness available to all. But Jonah doesn't want to recognize that. Does not want 
to submit himself to that idea. And in fact, there are some people today that I have encountered that have that mindset. And uh, in fact, when I was in seminary, I even admitted, I even discussed with my, uh, with my peers in seminary when we were discussing uh, the topic of, can you believe that Paul was willing to be accursed? That he was willing to go to hell if that would mean that his nation would be saved? Would you be willing to make that sacrifice? Would you care so much about someone else that you'd be willing to go to hell in their place? And we discussed amongst ourselves, I, I don't think so. And I even brought up Jonah and I said, you know, I think I would be more like Jonah than Paul in that way. That I'd be more likely that, to say, well, no, they deserve what they're going to get. I don't want to go to hell. No, that's not the way that Paul thought. And that was something that my peers and I had to discuss and say, you know, that's, that's convicting. That's challenging. The, the passion and the care, the compassion that Paul had for people who were lost, that Jonah did not have that God does have, because God gave himself on the cross for us. He did make that sacrifice for us. Jonah doesn't want to make that sacrifice. He'd rather sacrifice himself for the opposite objective, to do the exact opposite. That's the first evidence. And there's seen some people today. Down in Pensacola, where I went to seminary, was another group of people that I was had nothing to do with. The Pensacola Christian College had nothing to do with. They're called Rukwanites, uh, uh, that they believe that they, they go into street corners and hold signs up about turn or burn and they preach a very hellfire message that you need to repent or you're going to go to hell. And one of, this, uh, my, colleague, one of my uh, classmates actually went up to one of them and said, why are you doing this? You know, they're, they're, it's not effective. This is not the most effective way to spend your time trying to reach them holding up the sign about you're going to go to hell if you don't turn. If, uh, you know, there's better ways to share your faith than that. Um, and and, and uh, the person said to him, well, yes, we know, but at least they'll get the message. At least they'll have their opportunity and they will burn more in hell because they saw it and rejected it than if I had never gave them the message. And to have that motivation is the wrong motivation for why we share our faith. We should share our faith as Paul did, not as Jonah did, hoping that they repent, hoping that people come to salvation and receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness as we have received that forgiveness. Because the same God who loved us and forgave us so much, so great a debt, wants to forgive everyone, everyone who comes to faith in him. And so we want to see people come to that place of faith and repentance uh, to receive that free gift of grace and forgiveness God offers to everyone, to all. So first, Jonah does the exact opposite of what God commands him. That's the first evidence that he's spiritually asleep. He's doing the exact opposite. He is not showing that he knows God. He knows about God. He does know God to the extent that God is a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and willing to forgive. He knows that about God, but it hasn't sunk into Jonah's life to the point where that's him as well. The second evidence that he is asleep is that he ignores the circumstances that God sends into his life to wake him up spiritually and even physically. He ignores the circumstances that God sends into our life. And sometimes when we're on the wrong track in our lives, different circumstances we encounter in life may be a hardship or trial, maybe even a blessing that God sends our way to wake us up and say, hey, I am your God. Trust me. Trust me and obey me. And that's the message Jonah's being given here with these circumstances that come. 
And Jonah chooses to ignore them and continue to reject God's will for his life. Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind. That's the first circumstance that God provided, that he sends. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid and cried, every man unto his God. And where is Jonah? Is he crying out to his God at this point? Is he getting right with God and saying, God, I'll go back. Just calm the sea. Spare these men. And for their sakes, you know what? I'll go ahead and I'll go back. I know why you're doing this. No, Jonah does know why. Well, he'll show that. But he's asleep physically and spiritually. He is asleep and he needs to wake up. He needs to arise. Notice that the men of the ship are doing everything they can to save the ship. They cast forth their wares, you know, their, their merchandise that was going to bring a profit on that voyage. They realize that those things are not worth their life. They're not worth their soul. Give them up, and they throw them overboard. But Jonah, he's still sleeping. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster, the captain of the ship, came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? What meanest thou, O sleeper? Question mark. Arise, call upon thy God, if so be the, that God. And so this shipmaster, he's a pagan. He worships multiple gods, but he believes that there's a greater power that has the power over the sea. He's ignorant of who that God is. But Jonah knows him. And yet Jonah is asleep spiritually and physically. He is asleep. Arise, call upon thy God, if it be that God will think upon us and we perish not. And they said one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know. Here's the second circumstance that, the, the second circumstance that comes that Jonah ignores is the men of the ship pleading with him, pleading with him to pray to his God as they're praying to theirs, pleading with him to do something to save them. And yet he ignores that circumstance as well, as we shall see here. And then the third circumstance we see that comes to him is they cast lots. And Proverbs tells us that the lot is cast in the lap, but the whole discerning of their, thereof is of the Lord. Now, of course, we have a better way of finding God's will today and God's word and discerning the, the, the scriptures. But they cast lots. Being pagans, they, it's a method that they thought they could discern what is going on here. And so they cast the lot and it falls upon Jonah. And so they look at Jonah, that we may know for whose this evil is upon us, verse 7. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee. They're begging him. For whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what a people art thou? And of course, Jonah is of God's chosen people, supposed to be the light of the world at that time. And he is a prophet. That's his occupation. He's a prophet of the one true God. That is his God. And he is disobeying. Jonah recognizes this. He'll admit that. He's not going to lie to them. But he's still not in the frame of mind where he's going to pray and tell God that he's going to do God's will now. That he's going to repent and turn uh, to what God wants him to do. He ignores that circumstance still with the lot falling on him. Look at verse 9. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. And the people, they believe him. They believe. This guy does worship the God who made the sea. The sea is angry. No wonder. That makes sense. The God who made the sea has the power over the sea. He is angry with this man. Verse 10, then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? 
For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He told them why he was there. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He's not fleeing from Nineveh. He's fleeing from God. But can, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a mistake we even can make today. We can think, well, I'm not at church, so I can do this or that. The same God who's here with us in church, if we wouldn't do it in this room, we shouldn't do it anywhere else. Well, with bad things, of course. There, um, t- that is the idea here. Jonah thinks, well, I'm a Hebrew. That's my people in Israel. If I leave my land and my people, then I'm leaving the presence of God back there and I'm escaping God. But that's a big mistake Jonah made. God's presence is everywhere, not just in Jonah's country, but in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And even if he had made it to Tarshish in Spain, God would have still been there. He still would have known where Jonah was, what he was doing, and be present there. We cannot escape his presence. He knows everything we do, wherever we are, he is everywhere. And we have to remember that. We take God with us, with the Holy Spirit living in us. Where are we taking him? What are we doing with God being a witness to everything we do? And here, God is a witness to Jonah sleeping, physically and then spiritually as well. And he's continuing to sleep spiritually, even after he's awakened physically. Verse 11, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought and was tempestuous. And and Jonah has still ignored these circumstances. The tempestuous sea, the people around him are not ignoring the circumstances. It's clear to them that God has sent this storm because of Jonah. Jonah even admits as much. But he's not willing to be moved by the circumstance, by God trying to get his attention to do what God has called him to do. And he's still resisting it. He's still resisting it, even through these circumstances. The third evidence that Jonah is asleep is that by giving up on his own life, he is now willing to give up on life. Not exactly commit suicide, but essentially. He is giving up on his own life. He is willing to give up on his own life to continue resisting God's calling for his life. He has given up. And we should never give up. Wherever we find ourselves in life, even in the midst of a disobedience as Jonah finds himself here, we should not give up and say, you know what? Because that is a lie of the devil. The devil wants us to believe that we have failed God and we just cannot do God's will. So just give up. We can't serve him. We're, we're, We're not worthy or we're not capable. Just give up. And Jonah Jonah is yielding to those lies of the devil here. He is letting the devil have his way in his life right now because he is willing to just give up. It's going to take three days in the whale. I don't believe that for those three days in the belly of the great fish, Jonah is praying those three days all the time. I think he waits three days, and then after three days he says, you know what? That's when God got his attention. I think it took three days to get him to a place where he repented. And when he repented, that's when the whale vomited him up. I don't think he was praying for three days and finally God responded. I think he was sitting in the whale, sulking for three days, wishing he could be dead, and he's still alive. So he says, okay, if I'm going to be alive and continue to live in this whale, he gets to that place where he finally submits to God's will and says, okay, And he prays. We'll see that next time. It's not going to be next week because of Mother's Day. But we'll see that next time. He's finally going to pray. And we'll examine that prayer. And 
get right with God to the extent that he will at least outwardly go through the motions of doing God's will, but his heart is still not there. He's still not in it in his heart. But notice the men, they realize that it's not right to give up on your life. They realize it's not right to take the life of another human being. You know, we get all these situational ethics today where, okay, you've got five, five people in the lifeboat. If one of them doesn't die, they're all going to die. So which one should we sacrifice? That's not right. Even the sailors realize that's not right. The situational ethics doesn't apply here. God's going to hold us accountable for taking this man's life. And so they do all they can to save his life. But Jonah himself says, throw me over. So verse 12, when they asked him what they should do, he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. Jonah knows. He's a prophet. He knows what's coming in the future. He knows if he is cast in the sea, God's wrath will be satisfied and he'll, he will save those men on the ship. But he's not interested in saving himself. He's not interested even if that means doing what God has called him to do. He's not interested. He'd rather die than give that message to Nineveh. So he's going to try. He says, Never, um, verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. So they try everything they can to save his life. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they, they couldn't fight against God. It was God's will that as, as long as Jonah was in that boat and resistant, they were not getting anywhere. Wherefore, verse 14, and, and that's where we can find ourselves in life. As long as we resist God's will for our life, we're not getting anywhere with where we want to go. As a child of God, you know, the world, they can get away with a lot of things, but they'll pay a dear price for it one day in all eternity. But us, as the children of God, God doesn't let us get away with sin in that way. He holds us accountable. He stops us. He knows everything we do. And look at verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it has pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Notice when an unbelieving person prays in faith. You know, I believe these guys did get saved here. Some people debate that. I, I believe that they, when it says they feared the Lord Jehovah exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. I believe they were getting saved. I believe they came to see through this circumstance who the one true God is. They're probably going to forsake, I believe, their other gods for the most part. Maybe not every man among them, but I believe these men are getting saved right here on the boat, getting right with God, even as Jonah is still set in his ways and willing to go down to a watery grave. These men are getting right with God. And Jonah bears witness of that. He's the author of this book. He knows that. He knows that God wants people to come to repentance, wants the people to come to a place in their life where they're right with him and submit themselves to him. And the men on the boat did, but not Jonah, not yet. Verse 17, now the Lord prepared a great fish, another circumstance in Jonah's life that God worked through, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And notice verse 1 of chapter 2, then Jonah prayed. I believe he was in, those, in the whale, in the whale's belly for three days, hoping to die. And then after three days, he prayed. And that's what we'll come back to in a couple of weeks after Mother's Day. God wants us all to know him, not just know about him but to know him to the point where we become more like him and we submit ourselves to him, where we trust and obey him. 
for everything that he wants of us. He, God has a purpose for each of us to fulfill as a child of God, as a believer in him. And Jonah, this chapter in Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, teaches us those three ways in which we should not resist God and be spiritually asleep. We need to arise and do what God has called us to do. First of all, we need to obey God's word, the commands he gives us in his word. Jonah received God's word and then did the exact opposite. How often do we also, we have so many commands in this book, God's word, that we're given. How often do we do the same thing that Jonah did by doing the exact opposite of what God commands us in his word? And then secondly, we need to pay attention to the circumstances in life. Circumstances don't trump God's word. They point us back to God's word. God will send circumstances in our life sometimes that are to wake us up so that we will arise and obey his word. Not so we can interpret our own objective from the circumstances and say, okay, the circumstances are dictating that I do this. God's told me to do this. No, God speaks in his word and he gives the circumstances to get our attention to obey his word. And that's what we need to do. Unlike Jonah in chapter 1. And third, we need to never, never give up on our life that God wants us to have. We need to arise to fulfill God's purpose, God's calling for our lives each and every day. Arise with that purpose, with that calling in mind, and submit ourselves to it. Unlike Jonah, who was willing to be cast into the sea and meet a watery grave or die in a whale's belly. He was hoping, it seems, then do what God had called him to do. What is it God is calling us to do each and every day and in the future for him? As long as we are here, God has a purpose for us, a calling for us. Oh, sleepers, if any of us are asleep this morning, spiritually, let's arise to do God's will for our lives. Let's choose to always follow Jesus, unlike Jonah in chapter 1. No turning back. No turning back. At this time, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a little bit here, we'll, we'll sing that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And I, I, I pray, if there's anyone who hasn't made that decision, I, I trust and hope that you all have, that you will make that decision. But each day you will make that decision to follow Jesus every day. At this time, we'll, we'll go ahead and go straight into the Lord's Supper.